Um, here's the deal. In this sermon, it's really simple. I pray that you walk away from here believing even more strongly than perhaps you already do that Jesus is greater than. Greater than everything. And he's always greater than, no matter what. Like, think of anything. He's greater than it. Think of the best thing, the best circumstance you can possibly imagine. Ready? He's greater than it. Think of the worst thing, the thing that's most weighing, most concerning on your mind right now. He's greater than that too. Greater than the good, greater than the bad. He's greater than everything, everything, always. And that's what we're going to see here as we look at John chapter 4. Here we go. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, it, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, this is just the first of many ways we're going to see that Jesus is greater than. He is greater than any, any attempt to foil his plans. Because the Pharisees were a group of people who wanted to kill Jesus. They hated him. He went against everything they thought was right and good. And Jesus knew that if he stayed where they were in southern Israel, he knew that their anger would go greater. He knew that maybe their anger would bubble over and they would try to kill him. But Jesus also knew that it wasn't yet time for him to die. That would come later, but he had things to do. Jesus is greater than any attempt to foil his plans. And that goes for then and it goes for now. So what Jesus did... He left. And verse 4 says, Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to. It was necessary. And go to the next slide here. There's a map. He had to go through Samaria. He was down in Judea, the orange part. He was going up to Galilee, the yellow part. He had to go through Samaria. But it's not why you might think. Because you might think, oh, the road goes right through Samaria. But normally, Jewish people, they didn't go straight through Samaria when they were traveling. Um, Jewish people lived in Judea and Galilee. Samaritan people lived in Samaria. But Jewish people never, almost never, went straight through for two reasons. Because Samaritans hated Jewish people. Um, if you were a hotel owner in, I don't know, pick any of those towns there. Pick Sychar. Say you were a hotel owner. You would refuse to let a Jewish person stay with you if they were traveling to or from Jerusalem. And it was like a three-day walk from Judea to Galilee. But you would refuse service because you hate them. Samaritans hated Jewish people, but also Jewish people hated Samaritans. So they also just avoided. So they would go you know, over above the, the body of water there on the bottom, over into the green part called Perea. They'd cross over the Jordan River. Oh, nice. Great assistant thing. Yeah, they'd go, they'd go up through Perea, through the purple. There you go. Awesome. All right into the yellow of Galilee, and vice versa. That's what they would do. But it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. But it wasn't because that was the only road. He could have been a normal Jewish person and gone around. No, he had to go through Samaria because he knew there was a woman there. He actually knew there was a whole town there. And they were thirsting after something that they didn't have. He had them in his mind, and so he had to go through Samaria. And that's what he did. Verse 5 continues. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So there she is. The reason Jesus had to go through the heart of Samaria. And he was also greater than persecution and prejudice. That was why he could go through. He was greater than being persecuted by the Samaritans. He could put up with it. He was also greater than prejudice. He wasn't prejudiced against Samaritans. He wasn't prejudiced against this woman, even though he could have been. Because she was persecuted and people were prejudiced towards her. Because she went to the well at noon, which is very odd. You didn't go and draw water from the well at noon. The whole village would have had to use this well. But you didn't go in the middle of the day when it was hot in the desert. You went in the cool of the morning or maybe in the cool of the evening. But this woman, she went at noon while everyone else was eating lunch. Why? Well, some people say it's because she wanted to get away. She wanted privacy. She wanted to be by herself. Because, and we're going to find out in, in a little bit, um, <laughs> she, w- she was sick of hearing the room go silent when she walked in. Because what do people do when you're at a cafe drinking coffee together? What do people do at a brewery drinking beer together? What do people do around the water cooler getting a drink? What do people do when they're going to the well to gather water and they're waiting for it to all get done? What do they do? They talk. And in this town, they talked about the woman who had been married five times. But none of her husbands died. She got divorced five times. And now she was with, they they talked about how now she was with another guy, but she wasn't married to him. Um, But probably, you know, give it another week or two, maybe a month, she'll be on to a different guy because that's just how this woman rolls. And some people say she went to the well at noon because she couldn't take it. She couldn't take the silence when she went in the room. And she couldn't take the sideways judgmental stares that she got from all the other people in her village. So she went to the well to get some peace and privacy. But she didn't get it. Because there was one man there, all alone, and he asked her, will you give me a drink? And here's what happened. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, "Uh, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And to that, Jesus could have answered, why do I ask you? Well, I'm greater than pride. I know when I need help, so I'm not afraid to ask. And I'm also greater than prejudice. I'm not prejudiced against you because you're a Samaritan. I'm not prejudiced against you because you're a woman. I'm greater than all of that. He could have said that. But Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You've got nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. And it was, about 130 feet. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And to that, Jesus could have answered with, I imagine, a huge smile on his face. Greater than Jacob? Oh, my dear lady, I created Jacob. And this water that you love so much, that runs in this well, I created that water. Am I greater than Jacob? Yes, I. Yes, I am. But he didn't quite say that yet. Jesus answered, 
Everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus was, he was leading her to something more than literal water because he knew the spiritual danger that she was in. Because Jesus knew, even though she hadn't told him yet, he knew what she was trying to use to quench her thirst, the thirst of her soul. He knew that she was trying to satisfy her soul with relationships, relationships with men. And Jesus knew it, it hadn't worked out. She had been married and divorced five times. She was with a guy she wasn't married to. Who knows how many other guys there had been in the past. Jesus knew that it wasn't working out for her, what she was using to try to satisfy the thirst that she felt in her soul. And he was going to try and show her that this wasn't working out. But she, she wasn't quite to that point yet. She wasn't with Jesus. She was just excited about this amazing well that this stranger was telling her about. And so she said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And her excitement, it, it makes perfect sense. Do you, do you have that task around your home that you just don't like doing at all? Yeah? Imagine never, ever having to do it ever again. That would be amazing. And that's what this woman was excited about. But now Jesus cuts to the chase. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now he gets to the point. Jesus exposes the well that she had been trying to drink from, and the well was actually poisoned. She drank from it, but she just kept on getting more thirsty, but she kept on going back to the same well, but it wasn't working. And Jesus, he's been leading her to this the entire time to show her you're thirsting after the wrong thing. So he says, go, go get your husband, bring him back to me. And that's how he exposes what she was thirsting after. So the question is, what is it for you? If Jesus were with you at the well, what would he say to you? Go back home, get it, bring it back to me. What are you thirsting after that doesn't actually, that can't actually satisfy your thirst? I'll give you an example, because it can be lots of different things. Say that on the way out of here today, you're saying goodbye to me, and you come up and you say, Pastor Nathan, you tried hard, but uh, that was one of your worst sermons ever. And actually, it's just, I'm so, like, I'm just, I'm just telling the truth. You know, we're supposed to tell the truth. That was actually one of the worst sermons I've ever heard. And I'll tell you, I've listened to a lot of sermons. You are, you are a poor preacher and a, I'm, I gotta say it, like a pathetic excuse for a pastor. See you next week. Now, if you said that to me, I would try to take it in stride as constructive criticism. But it would cut deep. And even if, you know, I kind of overdid it there. Even if you said it in nice ways and you did it out of love and I could tell that, and by the way, I do want you to give me constructive criticism. But even if you said it in the nicest possible way and it was all truthful, 
that would still cut deep. Why? And by the way, it's not a bad thing that it cuts deep. It would cut deep because that's important to me. Like, I put significance on serving you well as your pastor. And that's good. But there are times where sinfully, I try to satisfy my soul from drinking from the well of my identity as being a good pastor. Sometimes the things that we thirst after look outwardly good. Sometimes they look outwardly bad. Like this woman, it's outwardly bad, right? Like married and divorced five times with another guy. Like it's obvious this is not a good thing. But me wanting to be a good pastor, that's a good thing. You wanting to be a good fill in the blank, that's a good thing. But me trying to satisfy my soul by my identity as a hopefully good pastor, I will always, always be thirsty. So what is it, what is it for you? Maybe, maybe you thirst after a, a straight A report card so that you can satisfy or you can try to satisfy the thirst you have for a feeling of accomplishment. Or maybe you know your mom or dad or your teacher is going to compliment you when you bring home that good-looking report card and so you thirst after straight A's or straight B's or whatever it is. Or maybe you thirst for someone that you care about coming up to you and saying, you mean so much to me. Thank you for being you. I appreciate you because you need that validation. You think what your soul needs is that validation and that praise and that sense of importance or purpose that you get from those people who are close to you. And, and if you don't get it, you feel really empty. Or maybe um, you're, you're trying to satisfy your soul with you know, a nice salary or a full retirement fund or an emergency fund that that's, you think it satisfies your soul's thirst for, for comfort and security. Or maybe it's another good thing. Or maybe, maybe it's a bad thing. What, what is it for you? I don't, I don't know what it is. But Jesus knows. He knows exactly, he knows exactly what it is. And he's telling you to bring it to him. Go get it, bring it, and lay it down. Just like he did with a woman. Now maybe as you sit here and think, you don't even know exactly what it is that you're thirsting for that can't satisfy your thirst. Maybe you're wondering, well, maybe it's that or, or maybe it's that. And the woman didn't quite get it yet either. But Jesus got it. And he will show it to you to realize that when you drink from that well, when you try to satisfy your thirst with that thing, whatever it is, it'll only make you more thirsty. It's like if you go to the coast and it's a super hot day in summer, you're walking on the beach and you're thirsty beyond all get out, but you forgot water, and you see the water in the ocean, and you go and you lap some up. And it, you don't even mind the salt taste. That's not the deal. But you realize, like, a minute later, you're actually more thirsty than you were before you drank the water. You think, that's weird, and you go and you drink some more water. And then you actually get more and more thirsty. And then you find out if you keep going back to that water, which you think will quench your thirst, but it actually won't, it'll actually dehydrate you all the way eventually to the point of death. And Jesus knew, though the woman didn't quite know just yet, that's what she was doing. And that's the danger for us when we thirst after things that can't actually satisfy our soul's 
thirst. It just makes us more thirsty and we keep going back to the wrong well, to the wrong water. Now the woman, she's starting to get it because Jesus, he's shown her just a little bit of who he is, how he's greater than, well, anyone she's ever met because he knew exactly her life story and she had never told him. She's starting to get it and this is what happens. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jewish people claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And what Jesus is alluding to there, the Samaritans, they only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. Whereas the Jewish people, they read all of them. So the Samaritans, they just didn't know as much about the Messiah, the promised Savior, as the Jewish people did. And Jesus is kind of going off here saying, where you worship, that isn't the bottom line most important thing. It's who you worship. Um, worship the true God in spirit and in truth. Um, he says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. It's easy to get caught up, as they did back then, with, well, worship him on Mount Gerizim, or worship him in Jerusalem. Worship him in this temple, come to him in this way. Jesus says, no, like that is not what's important. Just worship the true God. And now the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. It's like she was saying, okay, we're getting too deep here, Jesus. This is conversation for another time. I just know there's this guy coming, Messiah. He'll explain it all. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And there it is. She found it. She finally found the one who could finally quench her thirsty soul. She found the one man who was greater than every other man she had ever thirsted after. She found the one who had water that was greater than every single thing she had ever tried to use to quench her thirsty soul. She found the one man who could finally give her the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness that her soul was desperately thirsting after. Her whole adult life, it seems, was just the story of one man after another taking things that she cherished. But Jesus... Jesus just wanted to take away her sin. That was all he wanted to take from her. And what he wanted to give her was water that was the living water that would truly quench her thirsty soul. And Jesus does the same thing with me and you, which is why he calls us to go get whatever it is from the village and bring it back to him, that well, the worldly well, the worldly water, and lay it down at his feet because he takes it, he takes it from us. Like a woman going to a well, drawing water and carrying it away from the well, Jesus came to us, drew our sin out of us, and then carried it away. And he carried it all the way to the cross. And there on the cross, Jesus poured out himself. John tells us, and we'll actually hear it in a few weeks, he tells us that Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. And yet, in that moment, he was physically thirsty. 
But big picture, the whole reason Jesus was up on the cross in the first place, the whole reason he came to earth in the first place was because Jesus was thirsty for you. He poured himself out for all the times that you and I have drank from the wrong wells. Jesus poured himself out so that you would be washed clean and forgiven. He poured himself out so that you would have the forgiveness and the love and the acceptance that your soul is desperately thirsting for. So now, take whatever you've been drinking from, bring it to him, pour it out, and leave it there. Because no matter what it is, it's less than Jesus. Whether it's an outwardly good thing or it's outwardly a sinful thing. It's less than Jesus because Jesus is greater than everything. Pour that out and just drink from the living water that Jesus gives you. And his living water is his word in the Bible and his sacraments like baptism and communion. And they always quench your thirst. Jesus promises that. Sometimes, I'll be honest, it doesn't feel like it. You're going to walk out from here feeling different ways, Sunday in, Sunday out. Whenever you read your Bible or you go to a Bible study, you're going to feel differently after it. But you can't judge God's effectiveness by your feelings. Because he's also greater than your feelings. Jesus promises that his living water is what truly quenches your soul always. You can't get it from, from someone who loves you, who says you mean the most in the world to them. You can't get it from a report card. You can't get it from a sense of accomplishment. There's always more to accomplish. Even if you do the best you can, there's a part of you that'll wonder, could I have done better? Your soul can't be satisfied through validation from other people, no matter how much they mean to you. You'll mess up, or they'll mess up, They'll let you down. You'll let them down. The only way your soul gets truly satisfied is from Jesus and his living water. So, go get whatever it is and pour it out. And drink up. Drink up more than you drink from any other wells in the whole world. Drink up from the well of living water that Jesus gives. Because his water is always greater than everything else. Amen. I'm trying to decide right now if I should say something in between this and our proclamation of faith about um, being good enough. Um, and now that I've said it, I have to say it. Um, can you ever be good enough? I can't. I said about being a, a good pastor. Can never be a good enough pastor. You can't ever be a good enough, fill in the blank, like any, any of your identities. And if you try to fill yourself up with your identity as a father or mother or sister or brother or just person or employee or anything, you're going to be left always, always thirsty. The only way our souls get filled is not from anything having to do with ourselves. It's from knowing that you're the beloved one of the God who is greater than every, everything and everyone else.